Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning. This is the crab trap we used last year. It catches crabs. I, I was down in Brazil a couple weeks ago, and I bought this after I watched a guy on a, on a dock kind of lower it down into the water, down to the bottom, and then it opens up, and he had a big piece of smelly fish attached in the middle, and then the crabs, over a couple minutes, they'd come in and start chewing on the fish, and he'd pull it back up, and he had them. And then he'd throw them in his bucket and take them home and eat them. And um, what I've got in here, if you can't read that, it says options. So that'll kind of come up various times today. But that's, in many ways, that is how the devil trip, tricks and traps us. Um, sometimes he does it with things that we know are wrong. Uh, sometimes it's with things that are really good, but they're just easier. They're very attractive to us. Often the, the options that we pick, especially today, kind of overload our schedule and uh, makes us make certain decisions that impact how well we can uh, be growing in Christ, how well we can be serving, all of that. We looked at Ephesians 4 last week and how it describes what the job of a pastor like me is to equip the saints to use their spiritual gifts to minister, a lot like what Jackie was talking about, to help people understand what the Bible communicates so that we're not just tossed back and forth every time our culture says something, and also to help us cooperate with the Holy Spirit so we become mature, so that we grow in Christ. And then we'll put on screen what I said last week is your responsibility is to be available and teachable. Pastors are a lot like coaches. We used the metaphor of athletes last week. And athletes, um, if they get in shape and they show up to practice, they do better. When people are available and teachable, pastors guide them as they become more like Jesus. We accomplish the mission of God that God has given us together. Now, what's the mission of a soccer team? They want to win. They probably want to, you know, develop good physical disciplines and friends and camaraderie. What is our mission? We'll put it on the screen. Jesus said in what we call the Great Commission, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So it's both going and inviting people into God's family to, become, to turn their lives over to Christ, but it's also once they do that, helping them in the transformation process where they are becoming more like Jesus, where they're developing the fruit of the Spirit in their hearts. Now, to accomplish our mission, we have to invest a reasonable amount of time, just like a, a soccer team would. How much time does it take to be a reasonably good soccer player? Well, think with me for a minute. Probably, if you're competing on a team that's not just like a city league team where you just show up and play, but you're actually organized and coached and supposed to be in shape and work together, it probably takes about 30 minutes of exercise a day just to stay in shape. So that's about, about three hours. Um, if you're going to show up and be coached by a coach, they probably want you to do that at least three times a week for about an hour and a half. So that's four and a half hours. A couple hours to go to a game and play, maybe a couple of hours of traveling to your practices and back and forth to the game. Altogether, if you're going to be a competitive soccer player, that's about 10 hours a week. If you play at a college level or high school level, it's probably more than that per week. It actually feels like a job oftentimes for them. So how much time does it take to be a disciple of Jesus today in our situation? Would you please take out the insert that's in your bulletin? And on one side, it has a wonderful picture of James, one of our interns. Hope you'll take this home and pray for him. And on the other side, it has my recommendations. 
Um, and these are, I'm just trying to keep this at an attainable, um, reasonable level. And the first thing that I put down was from last week, and that's choose to be pastored. And people make choices, and you may choose to allow us to pastor you in what we say is the biblical way to pastor you, or you, you may choose not to. I'm going to tell you now, using this kind of what that might look like for you here, and then the last part of the message today will be why you might want to consider doing that. But right now, it's just the what. So what kind of time are we talking about if you're just reasonably involved in following Jesus today? First of all, the good news is you can do this in baby steps. The idea is to develop ongoing spiritual discipline, solid habits that down through the centuries the Holy Spirit has used to transform people, to develop the fruit of the Spirit, to make them more like Jesus. Never underestimate the power of habits. Our habits shape us. If we develop healthy habits, we will be healthier. I was taught the importance of flossing my teeth when I was in high school. And the guy that taught me, my dentist was one of my favorite people in the whole world because he was the guy that would pick me up before 7 a.m. in the morning, take me to a Bible study with some other guys and feed me donuts and hot chocolate. <laughs> I'm sure he was conflicted because that was not good for my teeth. But, um, so I knew it was important to floss. He had trained me how to floss, but I didn't develop the habit. And so about 10 years into our marriage, Janice started just kind of suggesting um, frequently that I should floss every night. And I agreed with her, but I did not develop the habit. Now, you need to understand that Janice is the poster child of tooth care. <laughs> if the dentist says do this, she does it. She just, she, fantastic habits. Um, today, you'll be excited and proud to know that I floss my teeth every night. It makes my mouth feel cleaner, my teeth feel better, my gums do better, um, but it took Janice 10 years of gently reminding me. And once I had that habit down, then she started gently reminding me to use the electric toothbrush, which I use today and my mouth feels great. Um, I've been, you know where this is going, right? I've been gently reminding some of you, I've been here almost 14 years and I've been gently reminding some of you to develop these spiritual habits that are on this page for that entire time, and I won't be stopping. It's my job. Your job is to be available and teachable. But I want to give this to you in manageable, bite-size stages. I don't want you to be overwhelmed or feel like this is unreasonable. You're going to have to choose whether or not you'll overcome the barriers in your particular your schedule because of all the options. But if you will choose to overcome those barriers, um, then you can follow these recommendations. By the way, one pastoral thing that I want to ask you to do, and, and by doing this, you are not agreeing to let me pastor you, okay? But just to help us pastor you in a small way, we have now started, we're going to try this for a couple of months on the inside of the aisle. We've got what used to, we used to use many, many years ago called pew pads. And all you do, if we've already got your contact information, just put your name, you know, could even be your last name. But um, we, we, always are running into people say, you know, I'm, I disappeared for a month and nobody called me. Well, we never know. Um, we want to pastor you better. So if you'd be willing to cooperate, please just take that, put your name on, send it down. If we don't have your information, please give it to us, email or whatever. You might have given it to us on the card. You don't have to give it twice. But this will help us to pastor you better. So we're going to try that for a couple of months. 
So secondly, it says spend 10 minutes a day alone with Jesus in Bible study and prayer. Now, this works best for most people if you do it consistently the same time of day. For most people, it works better if they do it first thing in the morning before they kind of, you know, their day gets away from them and they do all of their gumption. And the idea is not to do this while you're multitasking. I think it's wonderful if when you drive your car, you're listening to an audio version of the scripture or you're praying and talking with Jesus. But the idea with these 10 minutes is that you're going to give Jesus your undivided attention. And you might start off with a prayer asking the Holy Spirit to guide you, read a chapter of scripture for five minutes, and then pray for five minutes. And a lot of people find it helpful if they use this acronym, the word ACTS. And so they start off and spend maybe a minute doing adoration, telling God, why they think he's wonderful, and then confession, telling him why they don't think they're so wonderful, and then thanksgiving, um, what they're really just grateful that he's done, and then supplication is asking. They're asking him for the things that he's laid on your heart that you want for yourself and other people. If you do this for 10 minutes, it'll fly by. You'll have a great time. You'll enjoy it. You may even go longer, but I'm just saying try it in bite sizes for three, four, five months. Then maybe you up it to 20 minutes. And maybe after a year, you say, I'm just going to leave it at 20 minutes. Or maybe God speaks to you and you say, I think I want to go to 30 minutes. But try first with 10 minutes. Take a baby step, a bite-sized piece that won't be too big of a challenge for you. And see what God will do. You, you will probably really enjoy it. And the third thing on your sheet again, which I hope you'll take home, is invest 90 minutes a week in a small group that's going to know you and love you. And many of you already do that. Most of our small groups meet for between 60 and 90 minutes, plus you have a little bit of travel time. Um, all of us, we need to be known and loved in spite of being known. And that's what happens at our small groups. Um, we're not meant to follow Jesus alone. It was, I've, I met with somebody this week, and he was sharing with me how it was like 25 years ago, he just didn't want to go to a small group. And his wife kind of made him go. And... He just loves it. It's one of his favorite things every week. And we, we hear that all the time from people. So don't miss out. Uh, plan to join a small group this year. It's probably going to be a month or two. We're, we're not really set up right now for um, starting some new ones, but plan on it. And then fourth, on your list again, what Jackie was saying, serve regularly using your spiritual gift. All of us that are followers of Jesus, we've been given a spiritual gift or more than one, we would love to help you figure that out, equip you, and put you into some kind of ministry that will be greatly fulfilling to you. How long does that take during the week? Well, if you're teaching a Bible class, it might take an hour and a half to prepare or more, and then you're there, so that's a bit of time. But if you're ushering, as Jackie said, that's a very easy bite-sized thing to do. If you pray for people at the prayer wreaths, uh, what we'll do after the sermon today both back there and up here in the front. Um, that doesn't take as long, but people have different gifts. But if you just as a rule of thumb say, oh, probably if I develop some kind of ministry serving, probably going to be about an hour a week. Number five, give some percentage of your income and gradually increase it. Now, you need to, I, many people want to know. I don't know what people give unless they tell me. Um, I've been told that there are a number of people that are kind of regularly participating at CPC, but they're not engaged financially. The average American who doesn't go to church gives away 2% of their income. The average American who goes to church gives away 2.8%. The biblical and historical norm has been for centuries giving 10% away, which fewer and fewer Americans do. And 
the best, most defensible way to do that is to lay it at the feet of the elders because they're told in 1 Timothy 5 to, quote, direct the affairs of the church well. It's tough for them to do that if they don't have the financial resources. So for those, I'm not talking to those of you who are already giving, but to those of you who are not, I would highly recommend as your pastor to start immediately with 1% or 2% of your income. Uh, you can go up annually or something, but and by the way, right now our income is down, so we actually do need the help. But Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if you're here, and you're here kind of regularly, and you see all this wonderful stuff going on with, with VBS and, and Julie, who is on staff here, when you're participating financially, or Patrick last week, who is a missionary and he, works a, he runs an orphanage in Africa, or Kevin Ford, who's here today, all of us together are able to do some really fantastic things. Jesus said, if you're investing, then your heart will be there. You'll be more all in to this ministry that we do together if you're involved financially. And you can just start in a small way. In addition, you may be thinking, well, it's just not possible for me to do that. You'll have to trust God. And you will learn that God is trustworthy. He'll come through for you. So I, I, I really want that for you. It's important both for us and for our hearts that we're investing in the kingdom in that way. And then number six, worship with others every weekend. Now the early Christians, they worked seven days a week. And then they would get up extra early and go and worship together on the first day of the week because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. Americans are worshiping less and less frequently. Also, some people are just watching TV and saying, I, I worship. And they did worship, but it's not the same as coming here. Every week we pray that the Holy Spirit would show up powerfully and that you would feel his presence and you would actually know that God is speaking to you. That's happening for a lot of people. And that, that's not the same as when you're watching on a screen. And it makes a huge difference if a bunch of us show up and we worship together or if it's not that many people showing up. So we need all of us together. It's better together when we worship together. And I know you travel, so when you travel, go worship someplace else. God deserves our worship, and it changes us when we worship. And that probably takes you, you know, all in, maybe 90 minutes getting here, leaving, uh, spending some time on the patio with the wonderful people there. But don't get swept up in our culture and just too many other options so you're not worshiping every week with the people of God. It's really important, whether you're in town or traveling. So at the bottom, it has six different words or phrases that kind of summarize that. Those are things we've been saying for years. It's not an exhaustive list of every habit that God may want you to develop as you follow Jesus, but it's a great start. So as you look at this list, how many hours did I say, if you want to be a pretty decent soccer player, about how many hours a week? About 10. This is probably about five, okay? Now, five is not 10, but five is nothing to sneeze at because you're really busy. I mean, think of single moms. This is, there's just so, there are so many things that we have opted into, so many options, many of them very, very good. So you may have to have some very serious conversation with, conversation with Jesus about changes in your schedule. It may just be too packed. Remember, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that's not just true of your money. Your treasure is your time also. I keep saying Americans value time more than money now. So if you invest your time in 
concentrated time with Jesus, even if it's only 10 minutes a day, and serving other people and worshiping together and being in a small group, you will find that your heart will be more with Jesus. You will become more like Jesus more rapidly. You will, your heart will go with whatever you invest your time in. If it's watching sports or YouTube or whatever you invest your time in, that will be where your heart will tend to go. So I hope you'll take this insert home with you. Um, Janice reminded me to floss for about 10 years before I finally got it. My teeth and gums are much better for it. I know that some of you agree with everything I'm saying, but you've allowed yourself to just kind of run out of steam. You just, you've overbooked your schedule. You've become fatigued to the point where you just don't have the gumption to just be with Jesus for 10 concentrated minutes a day. Or much less go to a small group. What do we say about water? If you pour water, if water comes down and rains on a hill, where does it go? It goes, it follows the path of what? Least resistance. I'm not, this is not, what I put on this thing is not the path of least resistance. You'll have to make some conscious choices. The path of least resistance is come home from work and veg on the couch. You'll have to make some decisions, and it will be so much more than worth it. So some of you agree with this, but you, you kind of need to look at your schedule and talk to God. Some of you agree with this, but you've become enslaved to something in your life. And this, I'm talking about things like addictions, like um, just things that you know are wrong, but they just have got power over you. Now, crabs, they're, they're sunk when they get into this, but Jesus is in the business of rescuing the captives. So no matter what's going on in your life, talk to me about it. Let's, let's, I'll keep it confidential, but there are so many people involved in so many things that are just keeping them from having the power in their life to do some of these simple things. And we all mess up. None of this is to say, oh yeah, you can do this on your own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, even just to change our schedule. Then thirdly, there are those of you who just really don't agree with me. And you do not think you should allow me or anybody else to pastor you in the way that I believe the Bible describes. Um, And some of you, you know, I've been talking about this for 14 years. Um, The rest of this message is for you, Okay. Would you open a Bible to Matthew chapter 4 or, a, or an app it's on page 809 in your Bible there? Part of my job explaining what the Bible means is to urge you to develop a biblical worldview, a worldview that says the Bible's reliable, God passed it down to us uh, accurately or accurately enough that there's no big problems and that when the Bible is saying one thing clearly and our culture is saying something else, we're going to go with God. We're going to go with the Bible, not the culture. And there's always problems with that. But that's what a biblical worldview does. Now, 80% of Americans believe in angels, but only 40% believe in demons. Evil spirits that are out to kill, steal, and destroy, that are out to get you to either abandon Jesus or to be an ineffective Christian to get you into some kind of a trap, even if it's not something sinful, but just an option. You cannot have a biblical worldview without believing in the devil. The apostle Peter writes, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And now look at what it means to believe in the devil in Matthew 4. Starting at verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, the devil doesn't tempt Jesus with some smelly fish, but tempts him with bread, okay? Um, Jesus is hungry. It may be just the temptation of the hunger. It may also be the temptation of, hey, show your power. Jesus knows the Father will provide for him. Two chapters later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to talk about how, hey, don't worry about food. See the birds? You're much more important than them. And God feeds them. But perhaps because he is hungry, part of the temptation is not to wait on God's timing for his food to arrive. How many of you love the Snickers commercials? Snickers bars? You know, you're not yourself when you're hungry. Um, so then, they, you know, they, they show some movie star. I love the one where Betty White is a quarterback and a pickup. That's my favorite. She's quarterback and a pickup. And then the guy, then she takes the, by the center, then she becomes the, the real person that she is. But, you know, you're not yourself when you're hungry. You may be impatient or snarky or mean or you think poorly. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. He's hungry. But he submits to God and God's timing, saying that what God says is more important even than food. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, oftentimes around the temple in Jerusalem, there's, it's crowded, it's busy, it's very popular. If Jesus were to jump off the roof of the temple in crowded Jerusalem, everyone would see him, they'd know he's special, that he's God's anointed one, that he's protected by God. It, would be a sh- it could be a shortcut to fame and power. It would display God's power, God's anointing. But it would also force God's hand. It would impatiently hurry up God's timeline. It would be a refusal to submit to God's plan and to God's timing. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him, to them, to him. Elsewhere in John, in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls the devil the ruler of this world. This world is enemy-occupied territory. It really belongs to God. Jesus has come to take it back and to rescue perhaps billions of people who at the time are aligned with the ruler of this world, with the devil. They may not know it, but they're in one small way or big ways they are aligned with him. And the devil is ostensibly offering to Jesus to skip to the end and do it the easy way by just aligning himself with the devil. He would avoid years of frustration with his disciples and with other people, years of being misunderstood and maligned, years of being on the road and long hours and fatigue, and avoid being tortured and crucified and experiencing more pain than anyone ever would. But Jesus knows that it's not the Father's plan. He knows that 
he has come to destroy the works of the devil, not join in them. And he says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He chooses not to take the bait, not to take the option that Satan is offering him, not to go the easy way out, not to take the path of least least resistance, not to avoid incredible pain and rejection, but instead to submit to God. See, it's all about submission to the Father here in Matthew 4. There are other things that enter in, but it's, and that's actually true in in how well we'll do together, because it is better together, but it's a big question of whether or not you're willing to submit and let a flawed pastor like me pastor you. That's really the question. And we only have flawed pastors. We haven't found any others. Um, it's all about submission. Submission has become a dirty word in America. It's uh, part of the American psyche is the rugged individualist and, and the frontier mentality of pushing it out on your own, independent, rejection of all kings. And our motto, you're not the boss of me. When we choose to put our faith in Christ and make him our savior, we also make him our Lord. He doesn't just save us from the punishment for sin. He saves us from from sin. And sin is actually, it says in the Bible, is is anarchy is, is not having him as Lord. So when we're saved, by definition, we're saved from not having him as Lord. If you were saved in some other way, that's not what the Bible offers. When we turn our lives over to him, make him Lord and Savior, he becomes our king. So literally, he is the boss of me. Have you made him the boss of you? That's really the question in all of this. It's not really that debatable what the Bible says about being pastored. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The apostle John said, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. If five hours a week sounds burdensome to you, then probably you need to have some serious conversation with Jesus about what needs to change in your schedule. God delegates his authority to various people in our lives. Some of you are parents. You know that as a parent, at one point, you had to sit your toddler down and say, now I am actually the boss of you. And you're not smart enough yet to know what you can do, what you can eat, what you can eat. God gave this authority to me, and this is part of the deal. God gives authority to government officials. He also gives authority to elders and pastors, not to lord it over you, but to help you grow. It says in Hebrews, obey your leaders that were there as elders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, growing up in this country, uh, submission was a very dirty word to me. And then after being a follower of Jesus for a couple years, I was taught the biblical principle of submission. I went, oh, I gotta, I'm supposed to submit to the government authorities and to my parents, and my dad was already passed away. Um, so when I was 19, I went to my mom and I said, Mom, I, I now realize I've not, I, I have not, been treating you right. I have not been submissive to you and your authority that God gave you. Please forgive me, and from now on, until you release me someday, I will, I will trust God to direct me through you. Now, my mom was not a follower of Jesus, and she also felt that submission was a dirty word, but she could not resist the temptation of being able to tell me what to do. 
And she immediately said, okay, you can no longer play rugby. Now, to the best of my knowledge, I, we didn't keep good stats, but I, I think I was the highest scoring player in the league, and it was going to be incredibly embarrassing to talk to my fellow players and tell them, no, I can't play anymore because my mom won't let me. But I obeyed her, and it was hard. And two years later, she did release me from her authority. I went back to playing, played until I was 37. But I learned submission in a way that perhaps I never would have any other way. To trust God that through flawed authorities, my mom's flawed, I'm flawed, we're all flawed, that God will work all things together for good even through flawed authorities, especially when I disagree with the authorities he's placed over me. I'm not, not a big deal when I agree with him, it's when I disagree. Not easy, especially for someone of my makeup, but it is crucial for all of us if we're going to follow Jesus. By the way, absolutely transformed my relationship with my mom. For the rest of her life, she respected me in ways she never had before. She talked with me differently from that point on, wisely, graciously, not the same way she talked with my sisters. The devil offered Jesus the easy option. Cut to the, cut to the, take the shortcut, take the easy way. And Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. I'm praying that some of you who have always kind of said, no, I don't, don't, I don't want to be pastored. I'll just take what I want. I'm, I, I can decide what's good for me and what's not. You just, I'll show up sometimes. That you will pray and trust God to lead you through the flawed pastors that we have here, through the elders, trusting that he's powerful enough to do that, specifically that you'll, you'll start with some of these easy, or maybe not so easy, but some of these kind of minimal things. And we'll be hoping to hear from you if that's your situation. Would you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, we, we ask that you would work now in our midst. We, information is one thing, power is another. And you've promised that you would be here in our midst. So we ask now, we turn this time over to you, um, that you would work powerfully as the band comes and leads us in singing and we hear your voice that we would know whether or not you want us to change. Change something in our schedule. Change something in um, our attitude. Lord, if, if we're enslaved, that you would give us the power to get out of the trap if we're just seeking too many things in our schedule, that you give us the power to figure out what you want us to leave behind so that we can be more seriously involved with you, spending time with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelprez.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.